before we even kick off the podcast, I just want to remind everyone to go like, subscribe, and keep up with these weekly episodes. If you like what you hear, spread the word so more coaches can tune in for our weekly podcasts. Hi, I'm Coach Tony Schiffman, and welcome to the Hog Football Podcast, where we talk all things football and all things offensive line. Today, I have got Coach Colin Drafts with me. Coach Drafts is currently the head football coach at Nice High School in Pontevedra, Florida. Uh, he got his career started as a quarterback at Charleston Southern, where he amassed over 10,000 total yards and accounted for 90 touchdowns as a four-year starter at Charleston Southern. Uh, got his coaching career going as a graduate assistant coaching quarterbacks at Charleston Southern and then coached JV football at Somerville High School in 2009, and the varsity tight ends at Fort Dorchester High School under head coach Steve LaPrade. LaPrade, how do you say that, coach? LaPrade. La LaPrade in 2010. Uh, became the offensive coordinator at Olympia High School in Orlando, Florida uh, from 2011 to 2012. Spent time as the offensive coordinator quarterbacks coach at West Orange High School, where he helped the team to a 32-5 and record in three years. Uh, got his first head coaching gig at East River High School in Orlando, Florida, uh, in 2016, spent two years as the head coach at AC Floor in Forest Acres, South Carolina, and then in uh, 2019 became the head coach at Nice High School. So great, great background. A lot of things we're going to talk about, Coach, and, and super excited to have you on today. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me on, too. I'm, I'm excited about it. Awesome. So first thing I got to ask you, uh, you've been a part of some really great teams and some really great programs. Right. Talk to me about how the offensive line played a part in the success of those, of those teams. Oh, man. Well, it played a huge part. Um, I'm a big, uh, you know, being a quarterback all my life, I've always, you know, understand and appreciated, you know, what those big boys do night in and night out, keeping guys like me clean and whatnot. Uh, mm -hmm. So I always had a special love for the offensive line. But if I'm honest with you, you know, my first two years as an offensive coordinator, which would have been um, 2011 and 2012 at Olympia High School, I hadn't discovered uh, the importance of uh, the true importance of the offensive line and how no matter what scheme you want to run, if you want to be a spread team and throw the football or you want to be a triple option team, it doesn't really matter. You ain't going to get nothing done unless your big boys are getting it done night in and night out up front. So right. that was a, uh, an eye-opening experience for me because if I'm honest with you too, I didn't really know enough schematically about what was going on in the box. Like the way I called plays, it was always kind of, it was always kind of perimeter and end. You know, I was looking at the at the coverage of the secondary, and I was looking to throw the football. Right. And if I ran the ball, I just kind of pointed to my OL guy and just said, hey, you, you know, you figure that stuff out in there, and, and then we'll get it done. Um, so my growth as a offensive coordinator really came in year three when I transitioned to West Orange High School and really took the time to learn uh, the schematics and the ins and outs of running the football and learning the box. And, and uh, it was a game changer for me. So everything that we do flows through our offensive line. I love those guys. I tell them, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell everybody that listens that they're, they're the most important position on the team uh, to me. And I don't have a problem saying that. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because me being an offensive lineman, um, I see things backwards than you, you know, I see things from the, the box out. So, so I'm always, right. I'm always really, really, and that's, I'm sure most offensive line coaches are, but uh, I'm, I'm always very, very um, comfortable and, 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 and strong at the point of attack. But then when you get sort of out the perimeter, that's when I start to ask questions. So it's, kind, sure. of funny. Yep. it's kind of funny how things, how you, how your, 
you know, you were quarterbacks do things a little bit backwards. So, um, right. Definitely. You know, first question I got to ask you, and it's something that kind of jumped out at me that was very interesting on your bio. Um, yep. You know, obviously you were a great quarterback at Charleston Southern and, and you got to um, participate for seven years in the arena football league. Um, right. Talk to me kind of about how that was, how that process went and, and sort of did, did you at, at the time when you maybe got into the league, were you, had you been sort of wanting to go that, that route of a coach or was it something that you maybe got a little bit more of that itch as you were in the, the professional ranks? Right. Uh, you know, actually for me, I, I was very lucky in the sense that I knew, I always knew I wanted to be a coach. Uh, my dad actually is a high school, or was a high school basketball coach. Uh, he was a history teacher and he was the athletic director at the high school that I went to. Uh, I played okay. for him. I, play, I played football and basketball in high school. So I grew up a coach's son. I grew up living that life and I always knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. Now I uh, obviously ended up, you know, being a football player and a football coach, but even when I stepped uh, my first day, you know, on campus at Charleston Southern, I was an education major. You know, okay. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher and a, and a high school football coach. And the great thing for me uh, from a coaching career standpoint is when I left college and went off to play uh, arena football, you know, it worked really well because arena football season runs from basically February is when camp usually opens up and, you, and then you're usually done about July or August. Mm -hmm. So I would go off and play ball and then come back to Charleston and be able to coach. So I could do both, you know, whereas um, if I would have been playing in the CFL or even the NFL, those seasons obviously run, you know, the NFL runs concurrently with high school football. So right. I wouldn't have been able to start my coaching career the way I did. So it worked really well for me. And then I finally got to a point in the last couple of years in the Arena Football League where I realized that I was kind of just playing just to play and that my passion for coaching had, had far outgrown my passion to keep playing. So it was an easy transition for me to start teaching full-time and coaching full-time as well. Right. Yeah, it's kind of – it's – I was sort of – again, I was sort of the opposite. I didn't – when I was in college and, and high, you know, high school going to college, I, I, I never thought about, about coaching. I, I originally right. wanted to be on the other end of things. I wanted to be – in player personnel and be a general manager and, and for sure that sports management um, path. But it's, right. it's, it's kind of funny how everything sort of works out. And, and obviously it's, I couldn't see myself doing anything but coaching at this point. So it's, it's kind of uh it's a, it definitely gets you and, and it, it hooks you. That's for sure. No, I completely agree. I tell people that all the time. If it wasn't for coaching ball, I don't really know what I'd do, you know, and, and right. I know, all the credit to my father. Uh, just uh, he was an awesome basketball coach and, and really, uh, you know, my idol from a coaching standpoint. So I was blessed to be able to grow up and, and have that vision, you know, from a very, very early age to know what I wanted to do with my life and to, and to kind of follow my passion in that regard. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, again, looking at your bio, the, the things that kind of jump out at me, and, and, and this is something we've got in common, um, your first two head coaching jobs um, at, at East River in Orlando and then at AC Floor and, and Forest Acres um, yeah. were rebuilds. You know, you, yeah. you went to East River and, and I think you guys were one and nine and then, and then you helped them to go six and five. And then uh, you took right. over an Ofer team at AC Floor and then turned that into a nine and three record. Um, talk to me a little bit about those turnarounds and sort of what, what you did um, right. Specifically, and and what you you know what lessons you brought with you as you as you progressed in your career now at Nice. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll talk about East River first. That was my first job. Uh, you know, I had been a coordinator for five years in Orlando uh, and had been very, very lucky to be a part of a great staff. I was under, it was two different schools. It was Olympia and West Orange, but I was working under the same head coach and pretty much the same staff the whole time. And he was a defensive guy. His name's Bob Head. I actually played for him in college at Charleston Southern. And when he hired me on to be his offensive coordinator, he pretty much gave me free reign to do whatever I wanted to do. I mean, I was the head coach of the offense, and that was a mm -hmm. lot of growth for me those five years, learning what I like to do on offense and learning uh, being under a great head coach like him, kind of formulating my plan of attack because uh, one day I knew I wanted to be a head coach. You know, right. so a great experience and, and – um, owe a lot of uh, credit to, to Coach Bob Head for, for helping me on that path. But when I took the job at East River, it was in Orlando, uh, but it was completely like the opposite side of town. I didn't know a ton about it. Uh, the neat thing for me was they actually recruited me, like the athletic director and the principal called me and, and came to watch one of our playoff games, and I was still the offensive coordinator at West Orange and pretty much said, hey, you know, you're our guy. We want you to come in and, uh, and help us get this thing turned around. And that was a selling point for me to go somewhere where I knew they wanted me. Right. And I knew they, they were committed to winning. Um, so I get over there. And, you know, when you're – I'm a young head coach. I'm, I think I was 29 at the time um, and thought I had – you know, thought I knew it all and, and had, you know, had the blueprint of how I wanted to run things. And then you get in there and you realize that the first and most important thing is is you're, you're dang, I'm sure, not going to be able to do it yourself. Right. So I tried to hire, you know, put a good staff around me and uh, was lucky enough to bring some good guys on board. And the, the most important thing is I inherited a great group of rising seniors at East River High School that were eager and hungry to win. And, man, they, they ate everything up that we sold to them, and they were bought in from day one. And we worked our tails off, but uh, – we won games early on, and when they got that taste of winning, you know, they would, they would run through the, through the brick wall for you, so to speak. And that was very early on, and, and uh, that's something that I take pride on, uh, pride in as a head coach with myself and, and, and the guys that I assemble as a coaching staff, is that first and foremost, we're going to establish that culture of trust and buy-in, right. and all the other stuff is less important to me. It's less important to me what you're going to do schematically on offense or defense. The kids are going to have to go hard. And you're going to have to, you know, get them to believe that they can be a winner. So I was proud of, you know, what we were able to do that I was only at East River for one year. Um, and I didn't think I was only going to be there for one year. But I had uh, an opportunity pop up uh, at AC Flora High School, which, like you said, is in Forest Acres, which is technically just kind of a, a small part of Columbia, South Carolina. And for me, that was going back home to my home state. Um, you know, I'd never lived in Columbia, but it was very close to Charleston. Uh, my dad is from the Columbia area. My uncle still lived there. So there was some name recognition there. And I figured uh, that it would be a, a neat gig to go back uh, to my home state. So, so then I took the job at AC Floor. Now, uh, at AC Floor is a little bit different because I did not take over a team at AC Floor that had not had success before they had actually been they had had some good years before uh the, the coach that was before me a guy named reggie shaw he left ac floor and went to burns high school and burns is a perennial powerhouse you know mm -hmm. so he was he had won uh he had won some games at ac floor for four years and left to, to take that job and that's why it was vacant to begin with um you know so i came into a situation um 
again, uh, completely different. And if I'm honest with you, I made some mistakes when I took that job uh, because I think the biggest mistake that I made in that first year was thinking that, you know, that I could take the exact same blueprint of what worked at East River and apply it to AC Floor. And uh, it couldn't have been more, uh, you know, night and day from a lot of different uh variables to be honest with you but just completely different I was coming I was coming from Orlando Florida uh completely different type of brand of football down there I was coming right. from a school I was coming from a school that had never won before you know so when I came in and said hey this is exactly what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and I was kind of young and naive and not worried about stepping on anybody's toes that it just worked you know so going into AC Flora um, that first year um, it was a it was a bit of an adjustment for me and in my first year we went 0-10. I didn't take over AC Oh, okay. Four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I had to correct you on that one. So I yeah, go sorry in. about that. Nah, you're good. You're good. I go in, you know, having one year under my belt, thinking that I've got it all figured out, you know, because I had taken a team that had been 1-9 and nine and we had made the playoffs. Uh, and I'll promptly go in and get my butt whipped in my home state and we lose every game. And it was a very, very humbling experience. It was the best thing to be honest with you, that, that could ever happen to me as a young head coach and only my second year because it was so humbling. And I learned the value of uh, loyalty within a coaching staff. I learned the value of, you know, trying to uh, basically, you know, uh, surveying the situation of, of where you're in and the atmosphere, the environment of the community and the school and, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and working well with others, you know. So uh, with that being said, I was proud of the fact that we, we recovered. We kept the kids uh, balled in to, to, you know, to our plan of attack. Um, and we got to work in year two, had an unbelievable offseason, uh, ended up losing. This would have been 2018 now. So we lost the first two games of that season. Uh, so I lost my first 12 games. But those first two games, I could already tell that something was different. We, right. uh, week one, we went down to the wire. Uh, in the fourth quarter and lost basically in the, in the last couple of minutes. And then that second game, we went on the road. I made a change at quarterback, moved a basically a kid who had been a DB to run basically a spread triple option. And he had an awesome game. And I think we lost that game by like 14 points. And I knew, in, I knew going into week three that this should be it. And, uh, and sure enough, um, we went into that week three game and, and, and won and got the monkey off our back. Uh, and it's funny because you would think that it would have been kind of like a watershed moment. And it, and it was neat to win a game, definitely, because we had lost our first 12. But uh, it was kind of a blowout, and it was a bit anticlimactic, to be honest <laughs> with you. And it, and it was funny because – so we win the game, and then we had a bye week. So you, could, you lose, a little, lose, lose a little bobo there. Right. And then, and then we had a hurricane come through. So I forgot what hurricane it was. But, you know, September of 2018, whenever that was, we lost another week. So we have basically two and a half, three weeks off until we have to go on the road playing Chapin High School, who was our biggest rival, who had beat us 43 to nothing the year before. I mean, we just got our butts embarrassed. And um, so that was the game. We go on the road, um, make a long story short, we win that game in the final minute. And that was the moment right there that I knew it was, it was about to be a special year. Uh, I'm getting getting kind of chills thinking about it. So we right. won that game in the final minute. We end up winning nine games in a row after losing 12. We won the region championship, uh, made it to the second round of the playoffs, uh, lost to Wren High School, 
uh, in the last 45 seconds of the game. But probably the most special year that I've ever had as a coach, uh, and I'll never forget it because to, just to be able to be a part, uh, you know, of a, of a, you know, losing every game like that and keeping the kids balled in and keeping the staff on board to our plan and to go out and win nine games and to win a championship and to make the playoffs was very, very neat for me, and I learned a lot from it. Yeah, so, it it's awesome. You know, it's it's those are the memories that live with us the longest because you can, you know, I, I know for my own experience, I can, I can talk about games that happened 12 years ago that I coached in. And, and like you just said, getting goosebumps, you still can kind of, the emotions all sort of start coming, coming back to you real quick. And it's uh, you're, you're right back in the thick of things. So that's, that's pretty cool. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a neat year for us. That's so. awesome. Yep. Um, you know, a couple more questions for you. Last one uh, before we kind of wrap it up, but uh, talk yep. to me a bit about quarterback nation um, and, and tell me, you know, talk to me about what, what you guys do and, and, and right. some of the things you guys um, – how you've sort of had to um, adapt a little bit with everything going on right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Quarterback Nation was basically a, kind of just a, a, a private quarterback training and camps company that I started when I was uh, playing arena football in Orlando, Florida. So at the time, I wasn't teaching. So I was just playing arena ball. Mm -hmm. I was coaching, and this was kind of something that I could – uh, you know, start on my own to run camps and whatnot. And, and it really kind of took off. It's been really neat for me. Um, so I took a step back from doing, you know, from the private sector when I became a head coach, because it, it takes so much time, obviously, when you're when you're a head coach. Uh, I don't I don't care what level you're at. If you're right. doing it the right way, it's a 24 seven job. Uh, and, and I really took a step back when I moved up to South Carolina. Uh, just kind of got away from it a little bit. I do still run a big uh, camp in Orlando called the Orlando QB shootout, which is normally every July, which is, you know, just a, it's a quarterback campaign competition. We get about usually about a hundred quarterbacks around the area out there, hundred receivers. And we put on a good, you know, a good camp where kids can come out and learn and get trained up. And then we let them compete as well. So not quite sure if I'm going to be able to do that this year with, with such a large crowd and, and uh, obviously the coronavirus going on. Um, and then when I moved to Jacksonville a year ago, I actually partnered up with a, uh, a private company called Walker Sports in Jacksonville, Florida, who really does the same thing. Uh, and it was a better fit for me to be able to kind of partner up with Walker Sports and do some quarterback training on the side and run some camps instead of having to kind of run my own gig. Right. quarterback nation thing so it's worked well for me um you know so it's been an adjustment you know uh I haven't been able to be in um as a head coach at Nice and as a I guess a private quarterback coach as well I haven't been a haven't been in front of any kids in person for a couple of months so we've taken everything online uh with with online quarterback trainings you know over zoom which uh you know zoom is a really neat uh you know, obviously application that you can do a lot of stuff with. I mean, showing film, getting on the board, breaking down coverages, going through progressions, and it's worked well. It's worked really well. We've uh, we've done the same thing at Nice High School, you know, with position meetings and install. We're actually right now in the middle of what we're calling virtual spring football. You know, we have a team meeting every Monday at 4 o'clock uh, where we talk about the upcoming week. Uh, we also work out together as a team every Monday right after that meeting. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, we basically have offensive, defensive install meetings, uh, you know, by position and by unit and trying to be as as active and efficient as we possibly can uh, in a difficult time with coronavirus. Right. So, but, I, you know, I'm pleased with, with how efficient we've been able to be under the circumstances. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's that's kind of all we can all do is is just hope and pray that it sort of sticks as we throw it against the wall. <laughs> right, but. right. And that's something I've talked about with our staff too is I've just kind of broken it down and just said, hey, we can't get overzealous here and think that we can install everything that we normally right. would if we were in normal spring football because we're talking about high school kids. We're talking about we're not in person with them. We're not going to get walk through and physical reps. So we've dialed it back, watered it down to the most just basic fundamental stuff that we feel like that we need them to know, you know, conceptually. So when we do get back in action, we're not starting from scratch. Right. Absolutely. And and that's, again, that's kind of what everyone's trying to do. Hopefully I I'm sure there are some coaches that are trying to do too much. And, and you know what, I, I think those are the teams that truthfully, I think those are the guys that are going to struggle come uh, I agree. Come the right. season because it's just going to be overload for those guys. So, uh, right. So right. Yeah. What can you do? Well, coach, last question I've got for you. This is truly the last question. I won't lie to you again. Um, no problem. <laughs> if, if you could put together a Mount Rushmore of offensive linemen from, from guys you played with, guys you coached, or guys you were wow. just a fan of, who would be on that five man offensive line? Oh, man. You're putting me on the spot here. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, first and foremost, um, the first one that jumps out at me really would be left tackle would be a kid named Stone Forsythe. And what a great name for an offensive lineman. Yeah, right? right? Stone. So Stone played for me at West Orange High School for two years, and he is currently the starting left tackle for the University of Florida. And he was a big kid in high school. He was probably about 6'6", 300. And I've gotten the chance to watch him play a couple times and see him in person. And he is he is just a giant, man. He's every bit of six foot eight. Oh, wow. Probably, probably 330 at this point. And you'll be seeing him in the NFL um, very, very soon. He's got one year left. He's a fifth-year senior. Okay. And uh, looking for big things from him. Uh, the other tackle, I'm going to go with tackle again, is a kid named Jeff Kennedy. And Jeff Kennedy – Played for me at West Orange as well. Completely different story. One of my favorite players, Jeff Kennedy, when he was a sophomore, was probably about 6'4", about 180 pounds. And we struggled to find a position for him. Is he a tight end? Is he, is he a receiver? Is he a defensive end? Bless his heart, but he couldn't catch, he couldn't catch a ball to save his life. But he was, <laughs> a, he was the hardest working kid I've ever seen and just extremely smart. And we said, you know what, we're going to put him at tackle and see if we could beef him up. And he just worked his butt off for two years, man. I think he got up to maybe 230 by the time he was a senior. He was our starting tackle on the other side of Stone. And my last, that would have been 2015. That was the last year I was a coordinator there. And we made the 8A semifinals that year. So one game away from the state championship. And uh, and Jeff Kennedy was a, was a big part of that. He didn't go off and play – you know, uh, power five football like Stone did, but he, he had a heart of gold, man, awesome kid. And those are the type of offensive linemen that I've always enjoyed coaching. Yeah. Um, let's see here. I'll bump it into uh, center. I'm going to take it back to my college days. Um, Sean Huntsinger was my center in college and uh, always had my back, always kept me protected. Always uh, just extremely intelligent, smart, smart guy. I think he actually came in as a JUCO transfer my last two years um, and did a phenomenal job. Uh, you know, just always making sure we were protected. And uh, we, 
ran a, ran a pretty complex offense in college that put a lot on the center with dual reads and checking protections and me and him always being on the same page. Mm -hmm. So I definitely have to put him in that category. Um, and then let's see here. Uh, the other two, I had uh, a kid uh, that played tackle and guard for me at AC Flora High School, Jamari Gordon. Um, who basically he was part of his junior year. He went. He was part of that zero and ten group. Mm -hmm. And then I remember. I remember having to sit down with him. And this is one thing that I always that I've always done as a head coach. One of my favorite things to do is to do that that exit interview. Just kind of informal. Hey, it's me and you. The door's shut in this room. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me how I can improve as a head coach. And I'm gonna shoot you straight as well. And I learned a lot as a head coach from Jamar because he was such a smart kid. And the reason he's, you know, in that group that you're asking me is he was a great player, uh, but he was a leader and he was a great kid and he would shoot me straight on certain things. And he was probably the biggest, uh, one of the biggest, you know, parts of that turnaround from going 0 and 10 to 9 and 3. Uh, he was a, he played a huge role in that. So he yeah. would have to be in that group. Um, and let's see here. I hate to leave anybody out. <laughs> so many. Somebody's going to hear this podcast and go, what the freaking heck, man? How could you not include me in that group? They uh, will. I'll, I'll take the blame I, for it, though. I put you on the spot. It's my fault. <laughs> you did. Uh, let's shoot here. One more guy here. Uh, let's see. East River, uh, AC Flora, West Orange, Olympia. Um, how about this? I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to West Orange and I'm gonna I'm gonna name a kid who was kind of like a guard for us, but he was our sniffer back. Okay. And I've always been a pure gap skin guy. L hung my hat on power and counter man. We would stay in 20 personnel. And I've had years back then where the sniffer didn't touch the ball the whole season. We might throw him a bone and throw him a play action flat route here or there. But we had a kid named Brandon DeLabic, um, who was about 175 pounds, probably five foot eight or five foot nine, out of position to where you're going to play him. You know, couldn't play running back, couldn't play slot, but he was a wrestler and he was tough as nails and just he was the most selfless kid I've ever coached. And he was a part of that that run we had at West Orange, um, where we won a bunch of games, scored a bunch of points. And he was just – he never got – he never got the credit. You know, we had all the – we had the blue chippers at quarterback and at running back and receiver who always got their name in the paper, and he was the unsung hero. And we wouldn't have been able to win all those games and score all those points offensively if it wasn't for him, you know. So, uh, I think that, uh, you know, put me on the spot that he definitely deserves a shout-out. But I'll just say this. Uh, I've been blessed as a player in high school, in college, in the Arena League to be surrounded uh, as a quarterback with, with phenomenal offensive linemen. And then I think about, uh, you know, my coaching days as well as an offensive coordinator and as a head coach. I love that group. I always try to do my best to take care of them and make sure that the other guys, the pretty boys, the quarterbacks, and the skill guys know that it doesn't matter, uh, you know, what we're going to run or, or what you guys do on Friday night. It's not going to make a – it's not gonna. It's not gonna do anybody any good unless the big boys are doing their job to make sure to love those guys up. So I've always had a, a great appreciation for them. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm gonna. I'm gonna record that and and uh, make it kind of just go on repeat so people understand <laughs> it to give to give praise the old well, a little it, bit. It really is true, and we had our first uh, offensive unit meeting a couple weeks ago, a week or two ago via Zoom. 
And that was one of the first things I talked about. And, uh, you know, we had 45 or 50 guys just offensively on that Zoom chat. And, it's you know, I was looking around the room and you could see a couple of the big boys grinning from ear to ear. And uh, that, 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 that made me smile myself, you know. So yeah. uh, we're going to go as they go. And, uh, but I'm excited uh, about the group that we have coming back at East this year. And, and hopefully we'll be able to play some football pretty soon. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, Coach, real quick before we get you out of here, do me a favor, uh, drop your Twitter handle and any other information you want these guys to know. Yeah, for sure. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, at Coach Drafts. Uh, my last name is spelled just like the NFL draft. Just add an S on the end of it, so D-R-A-F-T-S. Uh, stay pretty active on there. And then uh, you could also, I guess, follow our Nice football page. Uh, that would be uh, at Nice F-T-B-L. Uh, on Twitter. So uh, stay up to date there. Love to, to gain some fans around the country. I'm a big fan of what you guys do and always tune in. But uh, just really appreciate you having me and, and, and giving me the time to talk about, you know, my path and playing and coaching. And uh, uh, I've enjoyed it. So I appreciate it. For sure, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you know, good luck this season. Hopefully everyone is, is staying safe and staying healthy and, and look forward to talking to you down the road. Definitely. Good luck to you, coach. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Make sure you like and subscribe, and you can find previous episodes on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, or any other podcast platform.